Hello, and welcome to Overthink Big. My guest today is Jaime Rivera, Hondureño, Chief Creative Officer at highly popular tech review platform Pocketnow.com, successful YouTuber, passionate runner, and father to three amazing children. He is a master planner and creator of all sorts of productivity systems, and the only person that I know that can plan a year's work schedule in just a few days. He and I crossed paths for the first time a few years ago when we collaborated on the launch of a smartwatch. And since then, I have been one of the millions of followers he has on social media, always impressed by his communication skills and confidence. A few months ago, we reconnected at the time where I was personally feeling quite lost, and he was kind enough to take some time to have a chat with me and provide some really interesting insights, which is mainly why I'm here recording a podcast right now. This is why he had to be my first ever guest on Overthink Big. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and most of all, I hope it inspires you to find your inner voice and take action towards your dreams and goals. Hi, my friend. I'm so excited to have you here on the show as my very, very first guest. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. When was the last time that I saw you? Was it pre-pandemic? It, it was, was pre-pandemic. Yes, yes. We were launching a smartwatch together. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh my God, Nuremberg. Can we do that again, please? Absolutely, we should. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. And I have to start by admitting something to you. I did overthink this first episode. Of course you did. <laughs> I think I was a little nervous the last few days I told you in preparation of this, but really I'm so excited for our chat and I feel so, so lucky to have you as my first guest. I told you, you had to be the first guest. I appreciate it. No, on the contrary, I'm so honored to be your first guest. My God, thank you. And first things first, tell us where you are right now, because I feel I cannot keep up with your traveling these days. <laughs> I am in a place called Seaboard, New York. I just moved here a few, literally, I, it's probably one of the reasons why it was so hard for us to like make the schedule because the move had to be done during December, but I couldn't come here yet because I was in, I had to go to Vegas for CES and it's just crazy, but I'm finally here. Cool. All right. Listen, there is really so much I want to talk to you about. And I think you have such a really interesting life story. And I'm really looking forward to unpacking all that together in our chat. So if how much you're time do we, how much time do we have hours and our <laughs> listeners as well, <laughs> but I'll dive right into it. So I've done some online stalking these days and mm. how dare you. <laughs> Of course. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I read your online bio on Pocket Now. And one of the first things you say there, which caught my attention, was that one characteristic throughout your life was change. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, I cannot say that I have lived the constant ever since I was born. I started my life one way, and then out of the blue, things changed. Like, uh, just to give you a little preamble, you know, I, I grew up in a I guess I was born into like a middle class, middle high class, close to wealthy family. We started off really well. My dad, you know, was born a farmer, but then he was this really smart guy who started making a lot of money real quick because he was a hustler, still is. And then out of the blue, up until age nine, everything was fine. And then, sorry, up until age four, everything was fine. And then, boom, gets divorced with my mom. I ended up being raised by my grandparents, so that's change number one. Then add another four years, 
by age nine, boom, my dad loses everything. So we went from having a sort of wealthy life to poverty. And then um, that's one of the main reasons why I started working when I was 13, because it was the only way that I could, you know, that we can make ends meet in my family because of the school that I was studying. And that's the reason I learned English and, and so many other things. But then, you know, the, the more I realized, the, it's just that, like change has been a constant in my life since day one, pretty much. And how, how do you look at change? I'm interested to know. How, how do you feel about change these days? Well, think about it. If, what is it that people complain about most, if not boredom? It's funny because I, you know, I either sit with my older son, who's now 21, and he's like, now nah, I'm bored. And I'm like, you know, I don't think I remember the last time that I was truly bored, that I was like, ah, I, you know, like, like dreading a specific thing. Me and, neither. And it's, <laughs> but it's that, like, it's a choice. Being bored is a choice. And it, it, it has everything to do with how you look at change. If you embrace change, it, it obviously has its levels of uncertainty. And that uncertainty is obviously, it, it has its levels of difficulty. And obviously, it shakes you off your comfort zone. And so if you embrace it and you're like, well, this is part of life, this is part of the process, and let's discover what it is. Like when you're running down the road and you're running down a street you don't know, you can choose to be afraid of it. Or you can choose to keep going and discover what is on that other road you haven't been to. So I, I guess that I've, ever since a, a few things that happened in my life, I guess I decided that I was not going to be bothered by change. I dreaded like every single human being. I don't think there's such a thing as a human being that doesn't like, that doesn't want to avoid it. But, you know, it, it all depends on how you see it. I think that that's the biggest uh, challenge. Absolutely. And I have to say, I, I was interested about this topic because you also had some really odd jobs throughout your life. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I think for a while you worked for an airline company, right? I worked in airlines for 13 years. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know you told me once a story about you working in, in that airline company, and I feel you got a lot of useful learnings from that time. Oh, that was my school. That Like, listen, if, if you are ever struggling with the concept of change, or if you really want a stressful job, you work for an airline. Like, I don't really... It, it's funny, because eventually I ended up working in business development and just working in how to make... How airlines work economically. And I'm like, if I had a... a $10 million right now. The last thing I would ever start is an airline. I'm passionate about them, but they are such cutthroat businesses. It's very hard to make money. Your costs are insanely big. But, you know, going back, I started in the airline loading, loading luggage, like in the lowest tier. And the reason why I was promoted to customer service was because I, I spoke English. And in my country, that was a big deal. And so I did that for 11 months that I then, you know, one day, the, the flight dispatcher decides not to go to work, and and <laughs> and, and we, we had we had a couple of flights to take out. And I'm like, and so my boss was like all crazy, and and she's like, the pilot can sign the the at the time there was it was very different to the way it is now, where you where you know you're you're waiting your dispatch is done at the base of the company. At the time, everything was done locally, and so and everything was done manually. And so I was like, let me look at the form, and I was like, crap, this is this is a trigonometry pretty much, <laughs> which I actually liked in school. 
And so it's funny when you're sitting down in school and you're like, when am I ever going to need all this BS? Like you look at algebra, you look at chemistry, and then that was my moment. I was 18 years old. I'm looking at a piece of paper and I'm like, this is everything I learned in high school right here. And so I literally just filled out the form and the flight was dispatched. The captain looked at it and he's like, no, good calculation. Thank you. And he signed it and he left. And then that's how I started studying to become a flight dispatcher, did that. Then I became the supervisor of the department just like 11 months later. Then I became the manager. Then I became the country. Like I, I did a lot of things for one airline. I guess that what I liked the most about it, it was, it was precisely that change element, that change catalyst. You could choose to pick a job and just continue doing it. There's only one way that you're going to master whatever it is that you do. Whether it's, you know, in, in your current day job or whether it is in the podcast, the only way you're going to master it is if you do your homework. That's, that's literally the way. And you can choose to be the kind of person that's told what to do. That's another thing about me. I hate being told what to do. <laughs> I, 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 consider it, I consider it the most embarrassing thing I could ever go through. If somebody has to tell me what to do, there is a problem with me. And, 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 and that's, just, that's just my approach. I am, I guess, a perfectionist is a way to say it. But I, I'm, I'm very prideful, but I'm prideful about the quality of what I do. And, and I guess it has everything to do with the way that I was raised. Like my dad is, he, he is the worst case of ADD you'll ever meet. <laughs> do you think it's a matter of generations? And do you feel like looking at your kids right now, maybe looking at, you know, just younger generations, do you feel there's a change in approaching all that? Do you feel maybe our generation was more inclined towards that way of thinking? Define or, define our generation. Are you well, Generation X like me? Or, in, or? Let's just say millennials, but oh, like you're looking a more. Mill- you're <laughs> I a still want to. Yeah, I still need to consider myself a millennial uh, for like forever. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like if if you look at kids in their twenties, um, yeah. even in their like early thirties, do you feel that? Do you see the same attitude out there? No, no. But I think it's it has. Here's the problem. I think that, and, and we can get really philosophical, and, and like sociology is probably one of my favorite topics. And it's probably one of the, a, a very fascinating thing where today we frown upon the difficulties with which we were raised as younger kids. And yet, the most that I remember of my grandmother is just her, her like tough way to bring me up. And so you can choose to victimize yourself and take that as a negative in a negative tone or I can choose to think that because I was raised in such a tough environment it helped me become more resilient to a lot of things it helped me become so much more of a I, I guess I, I can really commit to things because I, I I was raised in a way where your word is everything integrity is everything if you say you're going to do something you do it period like there's there's no way around it but you know society over time has gone through this like transition where you know i even i i even find that interesting and you know i i have no i i i think that all extremes are bad obviously there are cases of extremes where just you know children went through a lot of trauma because of how badly they were raised and you've got the complete opposite where there is absolutely no control or no respect between parents and children and therefore you've got this like um you've got this like negative result of kids that are unhappy even with how much they were 
raised and, and were raised to be entitled. I'll, I can all I can speak is for like my case. I was raised in a very tough environment, and I love it and I miss it. And it's interesting because I chose not to raise my son that way, <laughs> but I but I I I chose to be smart about it. I guess it's the way. I you know I think my best friend and and. One of the people that I have a, the best relationship with is my son. And my dad is always like, "Why? how is it that you have such a good relationship with your three kids? Because my relationship with my dad was very bad, at least up until I chose to no longer let it get to me. But I remember that, um, you know, at some point I realized, I realized the things that I did not like about my relationship with, you know, specific people or with my father for, for sense. I, I, I do believe that authority is necessary, but I don't agree with authority just because. If you explain to a child why this or why that, you're giving you're treating the child as your peer, not as something uh, not as somebody that's below you. And therefore, they they react with a lot more respect because they feel treated with respect. And so my relationship with my son, who now works for me, and who now works for me, who edits my videos and everything is is so positive. And yet you yes, have I met people that are younger to answer your question that and have I met more people that are younger that are having a hard a harder time succeeding? Yes. Do I see that with my son? No. Why don't I see that with my son? Because it's interesting. The other day I, you know, he did this like really amazing edit. And I was like, oh my God, dude, this is amazing. You're so good. And and I'm like, dude, thank you so much. And so he looks at me, he's like, no, dad, it's my job. And I'm like, no, it is your job. You're choosing to be excellent about it, which is a completely different thing. A lot of people have jobs because they have to. You choose to be great at what you do, and that may, that makes you stand apart. And so, you know, I don't have to tell my son to build a script. I don't have to tell my son when I need things to get published. My son is 10 times a better editor than I am, but it's all become a choice. And so it's that. It's that. Like it's it's all a choice. I do believe that everything is a choice. Even if you're having and listen, I have lost everything economically. I have lost everything three times in my life. And I think those have been my best times. Because to a certain degree in life, we are really good about carrying baggage. Like it's funny when we with the move, it was like, my God, we have we have so much stuff. And it's one of those things where when you lose everything, you become a lot more nimble. You realize what you really care about and what you don't. You realize what you were like splurging money on that you, re you really don't need and what you do. And then you realize particularly the most important thing when you lose everything is that's exactly when you know who your friends are. That's exactly when you know who your wolf pack is, who's going to be there for you. The people that are that decide to stay with you whenever you don't have anything, and so it's this like cleansing experience that people worry about, but it's actually one of the most beautiful things that could ever happen to you. And so, but again, it's a choice. You can choose to dread it and be victimized by it and make a big deal out of it, or you can choose to look at it, even if it's hard, from the positive front, and just try to figure yourself out of it, which just gives you another challenge to live by. And you know what? I also think it's a choice what you read, what you listen to, who you speak to, who your friends are. You know, just you are to, so right. Yes. To, your, to your point earlier, and and that kind of leads me to this next point because it's also a choice who you um, get to look up to, right? Yeah. And who you want your mentors to be, and 
I think that mentorship is so important. You know, one of the things that I'm planning to do is offer mentorship to people because, or, you know, younger or not younger, whoever needs it, because I think it's really important that for whatever I can help with is important to help others. And I think on the other side of thing is I also need mentorship and I often come to people like you, for example, with questions and, you know, with, with advice. I was wondering, talk to me a little bit about your mentors because I know you had several important ones. And oh, I still, I still do. They're still close friends. Um, what was the impact that they had on your life and your oh work God. ethics? I had lunch with my first mentor uh, like three, two weeks ago when I was still in Honduras. This is the leader of the first church group that I ever belonged to. And, you know, I don't, I don't really brag or make much of a topic of religion, but I did grow up very religious. And, you know, and uh, this is not to, not to make a point out of it or not, but, you know, I was telling him, his name is Jorge Hernandez, I was telling him, dude, you do realize where you rescued me from because I think that the first time that we lost everything when I was nine, I was, I, it was really hard. Like for me, it was really difficult, um, you know, to go from like, I don't think it was the comfortable lifestyle. I don't think that was the biggest problem. I just think that it really affected my family because again, some people can choose to let, let that control them and some people can choose not to. And I think that what like really ruined my relationship with my dad was at, you know, as a teenager was his attitude towards losing everything. My dad became this like bitter grouch, like this like bitter person. And it, it's, it's crazy because it literally took him 20 years to fix the problem. And within those 20 years, it, like, it's very difficult. Like his relationship with his wife was bad. It, it, and so I, I went through this where it was like my hero, who still is my hero, my dad, who the person that I adored the most just became this like really bitter person. And that was like really, really hard on me. And I remember going into this church group because I had to do my, my confirmation, which is a process you do in, 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 the, in the Catholic church. And I didn't go there with anything in particular. Like I wasn't looking for anything. But then I actually met for the first time a group of people. They are still my 70 and it's 70. They are still my 70 closest friends. I remember, you know, it, it's so beautiful when you go into this like system where people love you just the way you are. And people, you know, they don't judge you whether you have money or not whether uh, you are successful or not, your value is not derived by your achievements or what school you go to. Your value is derived by you, the simple fact that you are you and where people are willing to discover you just the way you are. And that was the most beautiful experience. And I, you know, I had the opportunity. I, I always thank him and everything. He's a psychologist and I always thank him. But you know, I think that this time, because of the pandemic and how hard it's been, I think he's been going through a little struggle and so i was like george you do realize that i would there would be no me without you like there would be absolutely no me without obviously with without you know getting getting to know and have a close relationship with god which was part of my teen, part of my formative teenage years from when i was 14 and on but if i wasn't like even the most intrinsic and most complicated things can be either good or bad depending on who your wolf pack is during the process. If you're, let's just say you decided to pick up running. If you find the right running group, the find the, if you find the right people through your journey, 
you'll fall in love with the process and it'll become a part of you. But if you end up, you know, re- reaching the situation with the wrong people or people that actually dread it or, or don't want to do it, or it's a completely different experience. And so my, like, I guess like my first experience of change was at 14 when I went to this group. And so, you know, that was like my first mentor. Still is such an amazing guy, a sweetheart, sweetest man you'll ever meet. And I remember, here's the thing. I remember, you know, being a, a manager when I was 20. And I remember that I was a douchebag. <laughs> I was so bad because I was, I was a perfectionist and I was condescending. I was very condescending. Sounds familiar. And so I remember working for Delmar, who was at a much higher position than I was. He was actually not even my direct boss. I had a boss on top of him who recently passed away, who was another one of my mentors. But like he and I just hit it off. We had this like really great relationship. And it was this one thing where it's like, how could it be that I cannot have a positive relationship with the people that, that I work with? And here is the big boss. And he's the sweetest guy. And people love working with him because he's so nice, so soft. So, and I'm like, obviously it's not, it's, it's one of those things where another thing that I learned from Delman, he's like, he, you're not your habits. Like, it's not that you're trying to copy me. It's just, are you really, he's like, are you really a douchebag? Like when you go home to your wife at the time, does your wife think you're a douchebag? And I'm like, well, I think she said, I don't think she thinks I that hope way. Not. <laughs> uh, I'll ask her. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where I, I remember that I did not have to be a perfectionist person, or I guess I did not have to stop being a perfectionist person, but I had to learn to embrace people and to tolerate, poss- you know, not necessarily mistakes. The problem is the airline industry is complicated because people can't make mistakes. Mm. Like you live in an industry where every, we used to have the saying and it still is like every single one of the procedures in a manual is written with blood. We used to always say that, you know, every single thing that has to be done is written with blood. Some accident happened. Like, like for example, why can't your bags fly on the plane without you? Well, there's the Lockerbie 747 accident in the seventies. It, it was because of a bag that was sent on the plane without the passenger, and that's how the plane exploded. It was a bomb. And so what happens? Like, what risk are you putting passengers in if you don't do the job 100% of the time? And so it, it made me think that what if instead of being a douchebag, I can choose to question not people, but question our procedures? Like, is what we do the easiest thing that people can do in order for people not to struggle with achieving it. Can you reduce a process to its minimum possible expression so that it doesn't wear people out, so that people don't dread doing it, and so that people can go home quicker? Like, how can I automate what we do in order to make their lives easier and therefore make the possibility of them failing even less. And actually, that's how I ended up getting into tech, by the way. I ended up getting all these gadgets just to figure out how to automate our processes the most possible to reduce the possibility for error. And I'm like, this is probably the, the best way. Like, I, I, I can, it, it helps me be nicer because people make less mistakes. You know what the beautiful thing is, I think, is that, you know, like people evolve and we never stay the same. And 
I personally think that's a beautiful thing. I think, you know, when you're young, you look at things in a different way, and that's absolutely fair. As you evolve, as you grow, and I've seen it in myself as well, you tend to soften up, you yeah. know? And as I also have kids, yeah, also kids help exactly. you soften up. And, you know, oh, yeah. just, just your life experience in general, going through things, realizing that you don't have to be perfect, that you don't need to deliver 120%, that 80% maybe it's fine. And, you know, that basically looking at other people in the same way as well, you know, being kind to yourself first, but also being kind to the others in the same way. And um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, in this journey of finding yourself, finding that real Jaime and finding that inner voice. Do you feel that that was your own doing or that was like a mix of experiences and the mentors that you've had and the the things that you lived through that kind of shaped that inner voice? A hundred percent everybody that was involved. I think we are the lucky ones to meet the right people at the right time. To Like I would say my kids have probably been the most the the most important learning experience in my life because it's funny like i don't think that i would have ever patched the relationship with my dad and we wouldn't be such close friends today if i didn't have kids it's the moment you have kids that you realize you know it's not as easy as you think it is it, it's interesting because in my case i've also struggled with you know for a long time finding my my inner voice and at times, I think the struggle for me was seeing myself in a way, because often I find that's more the issue, the way that you see yourself versus what the reality might be. And in my case, it was, you know, this image of, oh, I'm such an analytical person. I'm great at organizing things and managing all kinds of tough situations, connecting the dots. Hence, I'm analytical. And much later in life, I found this other much more creative side of me, which kind of surprised me, I think, at the time, to be honest. And when I found that, what I struggled with until, I have to say, even like very recently, was embracing the chaos that creativity often brings, I think. And I'm wondering, as a creator yourself, as a person who's very much an analytical, I think, a perfectionist, but at the same time, you are also a creative and you are a creator how do how do you face do you do you face that challenge oh all the time at all uh, all the time i think that even the best writers go through writer's block mm-hmm. even i i've burned out at least 3 times in this business and it's because as a perfectionist you can choose to use perfectionism in, in a positive or negative tone i I choose to use fear and perfectionism as a tool to help me know what mistakes I don't want to make. So they help me study situations before I deal with them. But at the same time, when you do these things, you you run into the problem that sometimes you make the process a lot more complicated than it should be because you want to get it right, because you want to do it right. And, you know, it's like running. it's, it's, It's one of those things where if you always go out on the road assuming that you're going to have a good run, oh, you're in for a treat because that is not going to be your life half the time. And you can choose to use those bad runs as a way to beat yourself down or you can choose to use them as a way to you know, learn from it and, and to 
you know, help you embrace those good times. And so being, it's funny because I, I, I think that it, the, the best way to answer your question is life is full of stages. And you can't say that you think right now the way you thought when you were 10 or when you were 20 or when you were 30. The more you educate your mind, the more you educate your palate into trying new things, the more you realize that I don't think there's such a... I think that there are people that are more driven to be creative, yes, and that have it more naturally. I think that 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 can be a case. And I think that I'm one of those people where, where creativity to a certain degree comes natural to me, but I've met people that are not and yet can be so gritty about it. They can be so systematic about it that they figure themselves out. It's so interesting. I'm a creative person that prefers routines because routines help me be able to reduce the complexity and be able to do it more often because, you know, creativity. It depends on the medium. Like if you're a writer for a movie, I mean, I think the Sylvester Stallone was offered $350,000 for the script of Rocky. And so if you're going to get paid $350,000 for one script, then you can choose to be creative. You can choose to take your time to be creative. In the business that I'm in, it doesn't work that way. Content is king, and therefore, the more you produce, the more possibilities you have of either growing or, or being able to make a buck. And so this is a very tough business because you cannot overthink what you're going to do. It's like running. You just have to step out the door and do something because if not, you know, the numbers are just not going to add up. And so some people are, are, are lucky enough or smart enough to be in creative positions where, where they can, where, where they don't have to be systematic. And there are other people like me who have to figure themselves out. You were talking about what's next. And actually, I'm also curious, what's next for Jaime Rivera? Oh, God. Do you know what's next for you? Maybe. I don't know. I can anticipate something. I can see something in the horizon. I don't know what it is. I really love that element of uncertainty because, again, since I'm a curious being, it's like giving me something to eat. It's like food. And so I do know that this is, you know, what I do right now in Pocket Now has, it's been the longest that I've ever done something. I don't, I haven't done this, any position for this long. Like, I think the longest one that I did was five years. I've been doing this since 2007, so this would be my 15th year, pretty much. I think that our conversation that we had when you were starting this journey, again, I learned from everybody. And I, I think that that conversation probably helped you as much as it helped me because I, I'm looking at the things that you're doing, for example, on Instagram, and I, I find a lot of motivation in everything you're posting. And I find that bug that you're dealing with to be the bug that I've been dealing with for a bit. I love technology, but there's so there are so many phones I can review. I love, you know, the way things are evolving, but even that is limited. Even if it's the most unlimited business over time, I'm also questioning a lot of where this industry is going. Not necessarily just technology, but I'll give you an example, like Facebook. Um I have a big problem with Facebook. They are I, in trouble as well right now. Right, right. And so here's the problem. I, I have a 15-year-old daughter. And I am having 
serious issues with her and how addicted she's becoming to her phone and the system. And so I am having problems right now with family members where we're sitting on the table and people are on their phones. And the problem is, you know, there is regulation for cigarettes. There's regulation for alcohol. There's regulation for absolutely, obviously drugs are regulated. There is no regulation for social media or for technology. At this point, I do need to ask you, are you an overthinker? I think everybody is. Really? I, I, it makes I me feel that, good. <laughs> I think there's no such thing as people that are not overthinkers. What I do, what I can't, like, I think that we all go through this process where we, we sent a text message and we're like, damn, was I too tough? Did I say it right? Like, I don't think there's such a thing as people that don't. And, and if you're not an overthinker, you are blessed, uh, dear human. God bless you. So nice of you. Um, I think that I am an overthinker, but I don't consider myself a regular one. Again, I have fears just like every human being. I have insecurities just like every human being. The only thing is that I think that I learned very early on because of meeting the right people, I learned to not allow these things to control me. And I've learned to use these as tools. And so, being an overthinker is not a bad thing. It helps you prepare for whatever it is that you're going to do. the The question is not if the question is not if you are. The question is what do you do with the overthinking? Do you use it or does it control you? Do you use all this thought process to help you build a bulletproof system of whatever it is that you're doing, or does it hold you back? Is this what is, is stopping you from doing something or are you a decisive person? So I would say that, yes, I'm an overthinker, but I'm also a very, very decisive person. You know, I used to have another mentor, Jaime Gonzalez, who would always say, you really, you know, particularly at the time I was, I was the one that was defining what airplanes would do. Like I was in charge of that department, the regional operations center. And so he would be like, we need to prepare for the worst possible scenario. That was his phrase. And it was, I think that was the most beautiful thing because yes, preparing for the worst possible scenario is a huge way to overthink. It, you know, the possibilities of it happening are very low. But if you prepare for things to go all wrong, then the possibilities of everything going all right are higher. Or the, the possibilities of, thing, of things failing become zero because you're already prefer, uh, prepared for the worst outcome. And so I think that I always approach things, like if I come up with an idea, I'm always like, okay, what's the worst possible scenario? Okay, if I, like for example, when I did the whole YouTube thing, I'm like, well, if I, if I lose this job that I'm in and you know, I lose the security and you know, this business is, 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 it hasn't taken off yet. And, and, and it did. I, I did YouTube for two years without making a dime out of it. And so I could have chosen to let that stop me. But I, I, I was so passionate about the idea that I really wanted to do it. And, and who would have thought years later, I actually ended up losing that job. And if it wasn't for what I had started two years prior, I would have had nowhere to I would have had nowhere to be. I would have had to start from scratch. 
I, I guess the, the biggest question that most people should ask themselves is, are you really sure that whatever it is that you're doing is guaranteed? Because if there's one thing that I've learned is that nobody owes you nothing. Nothing is guaranteed. No position, no job, no business. If your strength is set on human things, you will most likely fail. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's exactly where I am right now. That's why I, I like to call myself a recovered overthinker <laughs> because, because well, you know, well, welcome. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overthink, but I'm going to use it for the right things. And, you know, it's, it's always about the journey. It's always about the bigger purpose, as you say, and, you know, things tend to fall into place. That's the beautiful thing. Right. Right. And in the end, in the end, it's, here's the problem. People can have all the money in the world and they're not happy. People, you end up having the job you wanted to have. And when you get there, I think my first reaction when I got that job, I was 21. I was like, oh, so that's it. <laughs> and what now? Like, and what now? So that's the problem. Like to assume that happiness is eternal or to assume that happiness is the result of having things or no, like happiness has to be derived by how, uh, to a certain degree, how proud you are of what you've achieved or, or how, how, how much you want to do what you're doing. Like I, I think that there is beauty. It's funny. There's, there's a song from J. Cole that I love that I run to all the time. It's called Love Yours. Like there's always going to be people having better things and a better job and making more money. You're never going to be happy until you love what you have. But then at the same time, you have to understand that your stages in life are going to change. So the more you embrace the fact that what you are right now is not what you're going to be next year, the better you're going to approach whatever it is that you want to do. I, I think that that's what I've learned. It's been such an amazing conversation and I'm looking forward to our next chat and I'm going to be on the lookout for what's next for Jaime Rivera because I think there's going to be some amazing things coming from your side. I have a feeling that's going to be your same story. I, I, I hope you remember us poor people whenever your podcast just blows oh, up please. and everything. <laughs> I hope so, but I will always remember you because you are actually the reason why I'm doing this podcast. So that's also why you're the first guest on it. Thank you. That's so beautiful. I appreciate it. Jaime, thank you so much and looking forward to our next chat. Looking forward to it too. I really hope you found this episode valuable and inspirational for the journey you might be on. And if you want to learn more about my journey, I'll leave a link below to my newsletter that you can sign up to for weekly deliveries right into your inbox. Thanks a lot for listening. Have an amazing day and sending you lots of love. Oh, and one more thing. Don't forget to think big.